John 15, I am the true vine. The final I am statement of Jesus. From here, he is on his way to the cross. So we look to the reading of God's word. If you please join me in prayer. Father, indeed, you are the living God. And from your living word, you give to us your words of truth. And we ask, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to see farther. Lord, that you open our ears to hear more of the magnificence and the wonder of our Savior, Jesus. For it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The word of the Lord. In the Bible... The number seven is the number of completion or perfection. And today we come to the seventh and the last of Jesus' I am sayings. John has also given in his gospel seven signs as well. The seventh sign was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It would serve as his great object lesson for what he was about to do. Jesus is with his disciples for his final moments with them before literally all hell is going to break loose. And he closes out with this last metaphor. I am the vine. Abide or remain in me. Why this one, the last one? They were about to be scattered. Jesus calls on them to remain in him even when it appears hopeless to do so. Jesus presents a wonderful picture of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to belong to him. He also gives a warning. None of this is neutral. Jesus will not let you be a spectator in the arena of religion because it's not an arena and it's not religion. It's your life. It's my life. That's what's at stake here. Jesus is the lifeblood of all who put their faith in him. And we are called to remain, to abide, to be connected to him in both our love as well as in our obedience. In the previous IMs, we saw how Jesus would often take something from the life or the liturgy of Israel and apply it to himself. He makes his mission, his claims of the Messiah very clear. Just a quick review back in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life drawing from the Passover. I am the one who's going to feed you. I am the one who nurtures you. John 8, I am the light of the world from the Feast of Booths. 
I am the one who's going to come and bring light into your darkness, salvation to your soul. John 10, during the, the Feast of Dedication, we have both I am the door of the sheep as well as I am the good shepherd. The Old Testament image all throughout of, of God being the shepherd of his people Israel. And then in John 14, or John 11, I mean, I am the resurrection and the life. He is taking the great teaching of the prophet Daniel, the hope of the end, the resurrection that will be in the last day, and he's applying it to himself now. In John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The com- comprehensive plan of God from start to end culminates in Jesus. And here, finally, in John 15, I am the true vine. Also, another Old Testament picture of Israel as the very vineyard of the Lord. No one in history spoke like Jesus. Even those emperors who wanted to claim they were descended from the gods in some way, they didn't make the claims that Jesus made. And in this final picture, this final image, Jesus tells us of the necessity of being connected to him so that our lives would bear gospel fruit. So looking at this connection to Christ, he starts and says, I am the true vine. Grapes, vineyards are all over Israel. They would have been prevalent, possibly even in the upper room. People grew them in their homes. It would have been on the way to Mount of Olives. So a ready example for Jesus, they all would have understood. But more than that, they also understood that Jesus was appropriating more of the symbols and the narrative of ancient Israel to himself. Because the vine, the vineyard, was God's way of speaking of his people. Jeremiah 2, there the prophet said, I had planted you like a choice vine, wholly a pure seed. And he goes on to say, how then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? Hosea 10.1, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. Ezekiel 19, speaking of Israel, your mother was like a vine in a vineyard planted by the water, fruitful and full of branches. Psalm 80, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and you planted it. Isaiah chapter 5 or chapter 27, there the prophet sings of a love song. My love song concerning his vineyard, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. Speaking of Israel, so the Old Testament Israel is pictured as the Lord's vine, as as his choice vineyard that he planted, that he cared for, that they corrupted, that they rebelled, they went against him. A wild vine they turned into. And like all the other references, Jesus takes the exact place where Israel failed and he embodies it in perfect obedience, for he is the true Israel of God. As William Temple puts it, Jesus is the vine who lives to give his lifeblood. Then he goes on, he said, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit is taken away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Immediately we have an interpretation issue. What is Jesus referring to when he says that some of the branches are cut off and thrown into the fire? Typically, there are three views given here. Uh, The first would simply be that a person, that Jesus is talking about salvation. A person was in, they lost their salvation, and now they're out. Fairly straightforward for some. And yet, repeatedly in John's gospel, we hear Jesus say things like, I know my sheep. 
I will lose none of those the Father has given me. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus is aware of the words he spoke. The other option then is if it's not the loss of salvation by someone who was in, it's, well, Jesus is distinguishing between salvation and fruitfulness. That's not about losing your salvation. It's about not being fruitful. What's at stake is the judgment of your works. Now, that can solve part of the problem, but verse 6 seems to be more than this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. seems to speak far more than just fruitfulness. A third view sees that that vines as nominal Christians, those in name only. John has already shown that not all those who are in the covenant are of the covenant. Repeatedly, we see people who belong outwardly, but not in the way of true living and abiding faith. Those who are unfruitful branches will be cut off. Often, the Bible gives us a heavenly perspective of what's going on, a view, as it were, from 10,000 feet. And at times, it gives us the view from the ground. Judas looked just like the other 12. That's what we see from the ground. And as Jesus is saying these words, Judas, who looked like the rest of the 12, is actually on his way to bring the authorities to arrest Jesus, the one who walked with them, who did the amazing things that they did. And that's so often what we see from the ground. Like you, I don't know who truly is connected to Jesus or not. Time will usually tell But many are thought to be Christians who never really are. And Jesus' warning goes out to all to to hold fast to him that we would not slip away. Even while we are encouraged in knowing that it is the Lord who holds on to us, the warnings are real. The warnings are there for the pruning of God's people, for their their discipleship. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, You are already clean. Speaking of the disciples with him, because of the word that I have spoken to you. New Testament scholar Francis Maloney puts it this way. He says, because the disciples have heard and accepted the words of Jesus, the pruning process is already in place. It's already there because they have heard and they have abided in the words of Jesus. The very things that Jesus spoke of. They have believed and take to themselves. Back in John 13, Jesus was speaking about them being clean, all except for Judas, who would betray him. But now they are told that this cleanliness comes because of the word, because Jesus' words and his deeds are one cloth. What he tells them is what's going to happen. He is on his way to the cross. He is going to pay the penalty for their sins. Their cleansing comes from him. And he goes on, he says, abide in me. And I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is he who bears much fruit. And notice the end of verse 5. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm sure like many of you, I know at one point I either had a t-shirt or maybe it's a coffee mug. Philippians 4.13, 
sort of the great inspirational verse for all of us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes and amen. Paul gave that true. It is indeed something that we can hang on to as long as we put the other half with it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The I can do all things is in Christ. Outside of Christ, you can do nothing. I appreciate Augustine's remarks on this. He says, Jesus doesn't say you can do a little. You can do nothing. People chafe at Jesus' response here because it's so stark and it cuts against human ability. Now, he's not talking about our ability to do things in ordinary life, but anything of eternal value, of spiritual fruit. Outside of Christ, it's nothing. And notice here how often Jesus used that word abide. Maybe your translation will say remain. Abide in me, remain in me. Ten times in 11 verses. He's making a point. To abide or remain in Jesus is to be obedient to his words. To abide with Christ means to be present with him. Your thoughts, your interests, your affections are all shared with Christ. And in these seven I am statements, Jesus tells us who he is. And here Jesus tells us then who we are in him. Our identity is given to us by Jesus. Who we are comes from being connected to him. And it is only because we're connected to him that our lives can then bear fruit. He goes on to verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it's connected to the vine, neither can you. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Connected to him means you bear fruit. He says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's a repeat of what Jesus had told them earlier already a couple times. Now, often people hear this and they sort of automatically go to this genie in the bottle approach. Like, oh, Jesus said it, just three wishes, got it. Whatever I ask. And then they get upset because he doesn't give them some paltry thing that they're looking for. That's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is that because of me, you have the Father's ear. You can pray to the Father and He will hear you because you are connected to me. That relationship between the Father and I, I now extend to you. That's part of the fruit that we have. And then He goes on in verse 8, By this the Father is glorified, that you bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, What is this idea then of bearing fruit? Well, he's speaking about the totality of our lives. It includes our character. uh, What Paul speaks of in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. That fruit developed by the Spirit working by, with, and through the Word. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all the, the fruit, singular, of the gospel of having its effect in our life. Your character, who you are, that's the vehicle of which you use to worship God. That's why the Father's pruning is so important here. We're cleansed by the Word. Doctrine prunes us. The teachings of Jesus, right teaching, right understanding, is a means of shaping and forming us as is our life circumstances and what the Lord takes us through. 
The Lord's afflictions are for our growth in grace. I appreciate Martin Luther commenting on this very verse. He said, with these words, Christ wants to teach us to have a view of our afflictions and suffering of Christians. That's far different from what it appears on the surface before the world. He says that Christians are not afflicted without God's counsel and will. That when this does happen, it's a sign of grace and fatherly love, not of wrath and punishment, but must serve our welfare. That's an amazing and difficult view of our sufferings and afflictions. How very different than what we would like to see. We want this pruning to be like taking care of a bonsai tree. Tiny little snippers, just a little leaf, a little twig, just a little tiny touch up here and there. That's what we want to see when it comes to pruning. But what Jesus is describing is a pruning that often feels like a chainsaw taking off the arm. That's the kind of affliction we go through. I mean, that first question is, God, why are you doing this to me? As Luther said, because of his great care and concern. He's doing a work so that we would look like Jesus. To prune us in those moments. After her husband Jonathan Edwards died. Sarah wrote this short letter to her daughter Esther. This is what she wrote. My very dear child what shall I say. A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him for so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God. There I am and love to be. Your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. A life lived under the caring hand of the great vine dresser. A life lived with a doctrine and a teaching supporting that. A life following that produces letters like these. Those those letters just don't happen. Those are produced by the work of the vine dresser, pruning us, teaching us. We are all given to God. There I am and love to be. And Jesus now takes them further to the heart of the matter. In verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. As I said at the beginning, none of this is neutral. Jesus is not going to let you be a spectator in the arena of religion because it's not an arena. It's not religion. It's life. Jesus wants you and I to have real and abiding life that only comes from being connected to his lifeblood. Thomas Traher, and I put this in your bulletin. He died in the middle of the 1600s. Unless we can be satisfied with God's love, We can never be satisfied. Trahern was a man of whom C.S. Lewis commented and said, Trahern 
is one of the best prose writers in English. And in Traherne's small work, Centuries of Meditation, he writes this, following up on this thought. If we cannot be satisfied in the nature of love, we can never be satisfied at all. The very end for which God made the world was that he might manifest his love. Unless, therefore, we can be satisfied with his love so manifested, we can never be satisfied. There are many glorious excellencies in the material world, but without love, they are all abortive. We might spend ages in contemplating the nature of the sun, entertain ourselves with many years on the beauty of the stars, the service of the sea. But the soul of man is above all these. It comprehends all ages in a moment. And unless it perceives something more excellent, it's very desolate. There are many desolate souls hiking the mountains and glacier, unable to see beyond what they see. To stand at the top of one of those mountain peaks with the the panorama of God's creation filling your horizon, inhaling fresh mountain air, that crisp, clean smell, and not seeing God. It's like sitting in a Ferrari parked in a garage without driving it. How wasted that is. God calls us to go, Hey, push your foot on the pedal. Take it out. You need to experience me. You need to be, look beyond this amazing creation to know who I am. To see with eyes of faith. To see with the eyes of the heart. That's what you were made for. And if we can't see that, we are not going to be satisfied in the things around us. I appreciate Orthodox pastor and writer Alexander Schmemann. He reminds us that God has filled the world with his love and goodness. And we were made to see the world as God sees it. Another way of thinking about the sacraments is that they touch between heaven and earth. Whether it's baptism or supper or sacrament, it it, it makes a connection point, a touch point. So, with that in mind, Shemem goes on to say that we were made to be a sacramental union between God and his creation, a touch point. He said, man stands in the center of the world and unifies it in his act of blessing God, in both receiving the world from God and then offering it back to God. That's what we were made for. That God gives us of his bounty to show us who he is, that we would receive that and then in turn offer it back to God. A touch point between heaven and earth. That's what we were made for. But through our sin, creation is cut off. Through our sin, we are cut off from God. And only in Christ are we reattached because He is God with us. He's the true vine, the lifeblood of his people. So keeping Christ's commandments then flows out of his love. It's not a burden, not meant to kill or stifle our joy. It's the absolute foundation of our joy. That's what we've been made for. 
Obedience flows from that love. Because we want to see our Savior. We want to look like Him. We want to see what He sees. That's the the vision that Jesus is putting before His disciples. In me, you have life. Outside of me is death. You're going to be scattered really soon. You're going to feel hopeless, left, bereft. But I am with you. And you are in me. And therefore you will bear fruit. And that's the joy of following Jesus. Of of bearing that fruit. And you and I then get this great responsibility along with that. To tell people of the wonder and the magnificence of Jesus. People walking in the bounty of God's goodness. Unable to see. Unable to touch and taste that he is good. Because of the hardness of heart, of rebellion and sin. And Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Abide in me and you will know my love. You will know the love of the Father. You will bring glory to the Father. Because you're bearing the fruit that I have made you for. That our joy would be filled to full and overflowing. Even in the midst of a world that is marred with sin and death. That sometimes the difficulties of even life's pruning make it hard for us to see the goodness of God. A hard providence. Where it's like, God, this doesn't feel like pruning at all. But I know you're good. I know this is going to be for my ultimate growth in grace that I would look more like Jesus. That's what he wants to develop in us. So that we too could write a letter saying, I am, I am wrapped up in God even in the midst of this hardship. And I have no other place I'd rather be. That's who we're serving this day. Because of Jesus. Pray with me. Father Almighty, we are so grateful that you have called us from darkness into light. And Father, we all would confess there are times when we have chafed against your good words to us. Father, where we have chafed against your actions in our life. And we do ask that you would forgive us. Father, and we pray that you would continue to bring fruit in our lives. Father, as we abide in your Son, as we abide in you, that our joy would know no bounds because you are a boundless God. We pray and ask this all through Jesus, our mighty Savior. Amen.